pastor's office and I sought his blessing to move away from a great church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin and come to Liberty, Missouri. And uh, at first he was, he was praying about it. And I'll say this, I'll say this, if you're here from other churches or when he first said, you need to just chill for a minute, I disagreed with my pastor. But I looked at him and I said, Pastor Tamil, I will never leave this church until you give me your blessing. And I just believe that I didn't earn anything. I'm not anything special, but I believe there's something in the Bible about spiritual authority and honoring, honoring your pastor and your elder and the person God's placed in your life. And so I'm thankful that I just had a great pastor. And uh, I, but God worked it all out, and God spoke to me. God spoke to Brother Morgans. God spoke to Brother Tamil, and it's just a beautiful thing, and we're here. But like so many others, he sent off into the harvest, and there's been several. He gave us our blessing, his blessing to head to Liberty, Missouri. But before I left to Liberty, Brother Tamil asked me to connect with the Missouri District Superintendent of that time. Now he's just elevated into other positions. He was bored, I guess, just pastoring a large church and being a superintendent. So he said, what else can I do? So now he's the assistant general superintendent. But Brother Tamil knew I was any pastor, but especially as a 28-year-old pastor who's never done it before, I was going to need someone local that I was going to need to connect to and have a pastoral voice in my life. And Brother Tamil connected me to Brother Gleason. And I called Brother Gleason and introduced myself to him. And since that very day, Brother and Sister Gleason have been godsends to my life and to my family's lives. And he's been incredible. He's been an encouragement. There's been a time or two I've gotten corrected. We don't like that as much, but you know, we need that voice. He's trained me, challenged me, motivated me, supported me, and loved me. And every time I walk away from a conversation with Brother Gleason, no matter what the topic is, I walk away going, I can do it. He believes in me. He believes that I'm here for this purpose. No matter what it is, I can do it. I pray that I could be that voice in someone's life that every time they converse with me, they leave going, I can do it. And so he and Sister Gleason are a gift, not only to our entire organization in the role that they serve as the Assistant General Superintendent, but also to, in this setting, my family. So no matter what position he holds or how busy he is, he has always, always made time to respond to texts, answer calls, connect to me when I need to talk face-to-face, and, uh, and beat me in golf. Um, <laughs> But tonight, we are all blessed to hear from an incredible leader, pastor, father, friend, disciple maker. 
Would you stand to your feet and welcome the Assistant General Superintendent, Brother Stan Gleason, to this pulpit? Let's clap our hands to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Let your voice out and praise Him, exalt Him, love Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Pastor, for such an introduction that I'm not worthy of, and it was very kind. And someone said, behind every good man is a woman rolling her eyes. And I'm sorry, that woman's not here tonight. She, uh, she's been in bed literally for two days with chills and fever and, and then had a bout of something last week, so she's been hit pretty hard. But uh, thank you for understanding that. And wow, everything that I see, hear, feel in this place is exciting, and it's moving forward, and we have come tonight to respect the past and to look forward to the future. Uh, As I was walking out the door to come here tonight, my youngest son, Caleb, was walking in to the house. He'd been working all day, and uh, I had on, you know, I was dressed to come here, and he looked at me and said, Dad, are you going to a funeral? You know, black suit, white shirt. I said, oh, no. I said, I'm going to a party. <laughs> Amen. And so we, we give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the bishop of our souls. And we give honor to the pastor, bishop of this house, Brother Dornbach, and to the archbishop, Sister Dornbach. And to the children, Kiera and Jude and Titus, we're proud of them. And uh, to all of the saints of God here at Refuge, we honor you. Thank you for being faithful and serving. To Brother and Sister Morgans, we love you. We thank God for you. We're enjoying having them at the Life Church very, very much. And they add something special to us. And to all of the ministers that are here, we're so proud that you've come to uh, celebrate this very noble occasion. So uh, I enjoy preaching for an occasion, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. There are a lot of people that Brother Dornbach could have invited to do this. So this is a great opportunity and honor for me, and I thank you for that. I also want to say how much it's great to see my friend, my longtime friend, my, let me think about this, my 36-year friend, Tony and Diane Tamil, and we used to pastor in the same neighborhood, and we were still friends. And uh, that's right. And he's, J.T. Pugh said, it's always nice when preachers are Christians. And I found Brother and Sister Tamil to be true Christians, and their family is here. So I'm going to, to read a text later in my presentation tonight. So everybody that's going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time may be seated. Amen. 
a 10-year pastoral anniversary is special any way you look at it. It's especially special when you realize that the average pastoral tenure in North America is 3.6 years. So you're doing good, Pastor. The synagogue was unknown in the Old Testament, but it became a religious and cultural phenomenon between the Old and the New Testaments. At the time of Christ, there were no less than 480 synagogues in Jerusalem alone. And there were many other synagogues scattered throughout Judea and Galilee. It took 10 qualified men of faith and piety to establish a synagogue in a given community. The synagogues were built as a miniature imitation of the temple with a center building supported by pillars and then a courtyard surrounding it. In the center building or chapel was a place prepared for the reading of the word of God. The law was kept in a chest or ark near the lectern. The uppermost seats were those nearest to the lectern. The people sat facing the lectern. When the law was read, the officiating person stood. And then when he began to expound or make comments on the word, he would be seated. The setting of Luke chapter 4, which I will read in a moment, presents Jesus at a local synagogue. But more than that, it was his synagogue. It was his home church. This was the town Jesus grew up in. He'd left this town at age 30 was immediately baptized by John at the Jordan. And then the Spirit drove him into the wilderness where for 40 days he fasted, he prayed, he sacrificed. He was tempted of the devil. And he came out of the wilderness, the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit. Immediately, he launched his ministry with the first miracle recorded for us at the marriage of Cana in John chapter 2. A few months now had passed, and Jesus' reputation, if not his fame, was spreading throughout the country. And the news of his amazing supernatural ministry and ability to connect and communicate was reaching the ears of his hometown people. Jesus came home, and he went to church, as was his custom. And I just want to sort of toss this in right now. Jesus as God, manifested in the flesh, went to church, where he not only knew everybody, 
in his home church. But as God, he knew what everybody was up to. I'm so glad I'm not God. But what inspires me about this is that even though he knew people's habits, hang-ups, hurts, failures, even though he could hear conversations that were going on behind closed doors, even though he knew and could read everyone's mail, even though he knew all of the problems and the burdens and the issues, and knew that there was hypocrites there, and knew that there was pretenders and fakes. And where else are you going to find them but in church? Amen. Now, I'm not castigating the church. In fact, I had a guy one time say, well, I'm not coming back to church. There's too many hypocrites there. I said, well, where else are you going to find them? And by the way, come and join us. One more won't hurt. (laughs) But even though Jesus, as God, could see everything, he knew everything, He still loved the house of God. And he did not excuse himself because of what was going on. He didn't give himself a pass even because he not only knew the word, but he was the word. And and he didn't give himself an out because, you know, as, as God, why would he need to go to church? Amen. But I thank God that the Lord Jesus gave us an example. And where would we be today without the assembling of ourselves together? Where would any of us be today? Thank God. Amen. Listen, don't let anybody get in your way. Don't let anybody hang you up. Don't let anybody's poor obedience stop you from being obedient to the Word of God. Don't let anybody's hypocrisy get in your way. Get your eyes off of people and get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be a mess. We're going to have problems until Jesus comes. But when the trumpet sounds, hallelujah, the dead are going to be raised incorruptible. This corruption's going to put on incorruption. He's going to present to himself a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. Hallelujah. I pastored a few people that needed some ironing. No wrinkle, no blemish, or any such thing. So Jesus comes home. The boy that they had raised, the young man that they had taught Sunday school, if you will, to. He was now a man. And according to the Levitical time of launching a ministry or becoming a priest. He waited 30 years. At 12, he was ready to go. But he waited 18 years, Pastor, just like you waited. And he was, the Bible says he was subject. Luke 2.52, he was subject to his parents. The great God of glory subjected himself to 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 frail, prone to make mistakes. You know, all first parents are practicing. And Jesus as the creator, Jesus as the Lord of glory, we sang Alpha, Omega, beginning, and he, sub, he subjects himself. He comes under their authority. And so now at age 30 which was the launching 
year for ministry, Jesus comes home. And he comes home to the people that changed his diapers. He comes home to the people that blew his nose. He comes home to the people where he would hang out in their backyards with their children. That they would cook hamburgers for him and, 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 and hang out with him. And, and now they know him so well. And his fame and his reputation now is preceding him. And some of them, to be honest, are more than proud. He's in the very synagogue where he grew up. Children were allowed to come to the synagogue at age five, but required by age 13. And Jesus was always there. He loved it. You might say that the synagogue at Nazareth was partnering with his parents, Mary and Joseph, to, to develop him, to to help him mature, to help him become whatever it was that God wanted him to be. And during the synagogue services that Jesus grew up in, they were somewhat similar to ours in that the scriptures were read and songs were sung and prayers were offered and the word of God was read and it was explained and it was commented on. Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, had brought him and his siblings to that very synagogue in Nazareth. Perhaps the early stigma attached to Mary's conception by the uninformed public subsided with the advent of his step-brothers and sisters, or I should say half-brothers and sisters now coming with him to the house of God. Any local synagogue would have been proud to produce a young rabbi like Jesus. Of course, Mary and Joseph did the heavy lifting of the parenting, but the locals in the synagogue played a role and perhaps had influence in Jesus' early years. Surely now they could pop a button or two. Surely now their chest could could pooch out just a little bit. And they could say, yeah, that's our boy. We, we had a hand in helping him develop. You should have seen him before we got a hold of him. But boy, he's really something now. It appears that Jesus' life growing up in the synagogue had actually earned him the respect of the ruler of that synagogue. For when the ruler of the synagogue saw Jesus enter through the doors and having heard of his rabbinical ministry initiation and all of the things that Jesus was doing, he not only asked him to read the scriptures, which was an honor in and of itself, but then he gave him permission to preach. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit 
of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those that are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all that were there bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of, his, out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have done, have, have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. You see, these people were astute Bible listeners. These people knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill. And Brother Dornbach and I have stood at that very place where they were willing to push him over the cliff and take his life. Then passing through the midst of them, the Bible says, he went his way. Jesus was never celebrated as he should have been. By his home church. The people that raised him. Could not accept the fact. That he was a chosen vessel of God. Not to mention. God manifested in the flesh. They're the one who'd been sent by God. To redeem them. These people had been praying their whole lives. For Messiah. To come. And the day he walks in, at first there's excitement and awe. But they could not embrace the the role, you might say, that he was trying to situate for them in their minds. All they could do was go back to, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's boy? Didn't we teach this? kid when he was wet behind the ears who does he think he is Jesus 
was never celebrated as he should have been. And I've wondered what could have happened in Nazareth that day if they would have esteemed him. What would have happened in Nazareth that day if they would have given him honor? What would have happened in Nazareth that day? What miracles could have taken place? Perhaps when Jesus walked into town, he was thinking, you know, sweet old Sister Smith, she's been blind for 20 years. I'd like to heal her today. Oh, Brother John, he's been lame at his feet for the last 30 years. Oh, I'm going to lay hands on him. I'm going to speak healing. He's going to be healed. I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind, perhaps as a man, and the possibilities of what could have happened. Jesus even suggested that you would like to have happen here what has already happened in Capernaum. You see, Capernaum was already having miracles. Capernaum was already having wonders and signs. Capernaum didn't have the stigma. They weren't looking at Jesus through the lens of some little carpenter kid that grew up in town. But Capernaum was in awe of his ministry. Capernaum saw Jesus as the Messiah and as the answer. And what you think about the man of God in your life has a whole lot to do about your future. Your perception of anybody that is willing to pray for you has implications for your future. I'll tell you what most of us think. Well, I'm not sure if they're spiritual enough to pray for me. I'm not sure if they're holy enough to pray for me. And when somebody lays their hands on us, we, we listen real close. And we might even peek out of the corner of one eye to see who it is. And if it's Billy Cole, we're like. <laughs> but if it's somebody that we don't esteem, it's Billy Cole that taught us you can't receive anything from God through any vessel unless you believe that the person speaking into you, the person laying hands on you is either a great man of God or a great woman of God. Amen. Do you appreciate a pastor in your life that walks with God? Praise God. Do you appreciate spiritual authority in your life? Because I'm going to tell you that how you view spiritual authority, how you look at the people that God has placed in your life has a whole lot to do with what you're going to become and what you can receive and what you will be for the kingdom of God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. The scripture clearly says that Jesus could not do many mighty works in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Their lack of miracles and a supernatural visitation was simply due to their not respecting the greatest man of God that had ever come into their city. 
What would have happened in Nazareth? You see, without being too theological, God was in Christ. But God, the eternal spirit of God, had anointed the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews that he was anointed above his fellows. So God had anointed him. And if I could say it this way, the priest in the wilderness baptizing at the Jordan, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, he also anointed Jesus. He was unworthy. He said, I, I'm, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, it is necessary that you baptize me, that all righteousness be fulfilled. And so John, you might say, anoints him. Jesus wasn't baptized to have his sins washed away. He was baptized to have the priestly anointing. He was baptized to initiate his ministry. So God had anointed him, and now John has anointed him, but there was one more anointing that needed to happen to release Jesus to do what he needed to do in Nazareth. Everybody all right? Praise God. What kind of a church could Nazareth have been? God had anointed the rabbi. And the priest had anointed him. But what could have happened in Nazareth if the people had anointed him? Praise God. I'm not here tonight to chide anyone. I'm not here to rebuke anyone. But I'm trying to explain to you in a biblical context how significant tonight is. And how important this 10-year anniversary is. You see, local churches don't just become awesome all by themselves. But it takes three anointings before a congregation can become a revival church. Somebody might be thinking, well, you know, I've, 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 I've got a good little pastor. I've got a good little pastor. That's your problem. You need to take little out of it. I had somebody walk up to me right after we came to the Life Church said, you're a good little preacher. I thought, to, I didn't say anything. I, I thought, oh, Lord, I don't know if she's going to make it. In fact, she said, you know, you're too nice. She said, you've you, 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 you got too much love coming out of you. I'm, I'm quoting this verbatim. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you're, you're not mean enough in the pulpit. I said, well, elaborate on that. Let me, let me read the commentary on that. She said, I want you to step on my toes. She said, I want you to eat my lunch. She said, I want you to clean my plow. 
I said, oh, 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 okay. You, you explained it a little bit better right there. I said, I think what I'm hearing you say is you, you don't want a shepherd. You, you, you want, you want a, a bar bouncer. You, you want somebody to, you know, look over your shoulder and whop you upside of the head. She said, that's exactly what I'm saying. I said, I, I don't think you're going to make it here. No, you need to make an adjustment because, because that's not how this shepherd is going to feed. You see, when you read Psalm 23, you, you, it's up to the sheep to make the adjustment because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen, when you've got a called man of God in your life, you have something priceless. You couldn't give enough offering. You couldn't give enough tithe. You couldn't support... You couldn't give enough prayers. You couldn't give enough ownership to a man of God. Amen. It's up to the sheep to make the adjustments because not every pastor leads the same way. Not every pastor feeds the same way. By the way, Brother Tamil, thank you for raising an awesome young man. Thank you for raising an outstanding young man. Thank you for everything that you've invested. Your ministry is still living on in him and dozens of others that you've spoken into. But I'm, I'm just trying to, to share with you what makes a church rock. You say, well, you know, if you think that one pastor is just as good and just like any other pastor, you probably think that King Kong is just another monkey. And I'm telling you, in the Holy Ghost, that this church is going places. I'm telling you that this congregation, and there's three reasons for it. There's three reasons for it. Number one, God has anointed this man. It's more than the Holy Ghost. Listen, there's a difference between the Holy Ghost and the anointing. I've preached on four continents of the world, and everywhere I've been, the Holy Ghost feels exactly the same. The only thing that's different in nations, in states, in local churches, and on individual ministries is the anointing. Because the Holy Ghost may come off the rack, but the anointing is tailor-made. You don't get anointing off the rack. It's tailor-made. It's unique. And so God has anointed him. And his elders have anointed him. He already had those two anointings when he arrived here. And now it's up to Refuge Church. Maybe I'm preaching to someone here tonight. You still, the jury's still out for you. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody that, that maybe there's something that you saw or something that you heard. And the fact that you're here bears a great witness. But maybe you're just holding out. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you don't understand how. Listen, in an apostolic spirit-filled church, we don't do business like, like Reformation churches do. 
We don't do business like traditional old dried up, twice plucked up by the roots, stained glass religion churches do business. When you walk into an apostolic church, you walked into a spirit-filled, alive, living body, and you become a member when you're born of the water and of the spirit. You don't become a member of this church by signing a card or shaking somebody's hand. You got to get born into it. Amen. By one spirit are we baptized into one body. You can't sit back there and say, well, that's a good little preacher. Oh, no. There's something in your heart that has to say, that is a man of God. And that man of God is my pastor. You, you got to feel that. You can't, you know, when you come, it's not like coming to Walmart when you come here. You know, and one checkout person is good as the next. And that's not true. <laughs> but when you come into the house of God and you come into a living, breathing organism, there's got to be something in you that wants to come under spiritual authority. Pastor already said it. You got to get that. If you don't get that, let me tell you something. You will never be promoted by God. Maybe they get, well, how come I didn't get that job? How can I'm not being used? How come not? It's not happening for me, and it is for other people. Let me tell you why. It won't happen until you catch his spirit. It won't happen until you start seeing what he sees and feeling what he feels and start acting like he acts. I know this is probably a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm having a good time. This is like therapy for me right now. When I was, uh, I grew up under S.G. Norris. That means probably nothing to 99.9% of you. But S.G. Norris was an amazing man of God. He trained thousands of pastors and evangelists and missionaries and church planners and Bible study teachers and Sunday school teachers and Thousands from 1937 until he died in 1990. He ran a Bible college and he put out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I was privileged to grow up from the time I was born until the time I left home at age 21. When I was a little boy, I don't want to sound too spiritual, but I could recognize the anointing. You could feel it. You could feel it. And uh, I was sitting over here on a cold Sunday winter night next to my mother, and I was about eight. And Brother Norris said, now we want all the sick to come up here, and we're going to anoint you and pray for you. And I bolted away from her. I ran up there, and, and Brother Norris prayed for me. And then I went back to where my mom was. And before I got there, like her hand reached out, and she grabbed a hold of my ear, and, you know, Dads, now when dads grab a hold of ears, they come off. But moms, they can, you know, they know just the right. And she pulled me in there and she goes, what are you doing going up there and getting prayed for? You just want attention or what? You're not sick. I said, but mom, I just want to feel pastor's hand on my head. And she went, 
Never mind. <laughs> That's sort of a little childhood story, but listen, if you've got that, if you've got that, I'm not talking about preacher worship. I'm not talking about preacher religion. I hate that and God hates that. In fact, I don't even have any time for preachers that don't worship. Since when do licensed ministers get excused from the worship service? We should be the leaders in everything and worshiping God. Amen. But if you've got that sense, you know what? I might not can go out to lunch every day. We may not go fishing every Saturday afternoon. We may never get to play golf, but maybe once a year. I don't need him to be my best buddy. And I'm going to tell you something. Your pastor can never be your best buddy, but he can be your friend. He can be the greatest friend you've ever had because this man stands in the gap for you. Amen. This man pleads the blood over your children. This man is putting his life on the line. He's fighting devils. He's holding back the powers of darkness. He's partnering with the intercessor, the mediator, the high priest of heaven, Jesus himself, to bring an anointing into your local church. And if you've got that, I've got to come under that anointing. I don't only preach about this. I live this. I believe in this. When I was elected assistant general superintendent, (laughs) I can't do anything just as a job. But God, it's got to be in my heart. It's got, I got to have that spiritual connection. I hadn't been around Brother Bernard very much. He'd been elected general superintendent a year before, and he'd already invited me before I was elected to go to Panama for the global council. I was Missouri superintendent, and so... So we went there, and Brother Howell preached an amazing message, and we had foot washing and communion, and the Holy Ghost fell. Some of the top missionaries in all the world, about 200 people were there. And my sleeves are rolled up. My pant legs are partially rolled up. They're still UPC length. <laughs> and Bishop has got his... Sleeves rolled up, and I went to him. I was so broken. I said, Brother Bernard, I can't assist you without your blessing. I can't. I just can't. It can't be a job. I can't have you be a silo over there and me a silo over here. And, and No, I've got to be connected spiritually to you. I've got to come under. He knew exactly what I was talking about. He didn't bat an eyeball. I said, I, I don't want to be dramatic. People were praying everywhere. I said, I'm going to kneel. Would you just lay hands on me and, and pray over me? And, and, and he did it. He clamped his hands on my head and he prayed over me. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, some special person because of that. But I'm just telling you what's in my heart. If I want to have authority, I've got to come under authority. And if I want to have power with God, I've got to come under the power of God that God has put in my life. And I'm telling somebody here tonight, you're only one act of submission away from a miracle. You're only one act away from submission to spiritual authority. There are miracles in this house tonight. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. You can just pray it in your spirit. 
Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Ha-ha. This is the apostolic people. This is the apostolic. This is how it operates. Everybody said, praise the Lord. David had three anointings. God anointed him. Samuel anointed him. But he wasn't really the king until all 12 tribes anointed him. He saw it coming the day. You say, when was, when was David king? It probably was the day that the women said, Saul has slain his thousands. But David is ten thousands. Before Brother Dornbach was ever elected as the pastor of this church, he was already a pastor. He didn't have the title. But he was already loving people. Listen, don't you be a loser that sits back and say, well, I ain't doing nothing until I get the job description. I'm not doing nothing until I get the title. And then when I get the title, I'll think about it. Oh, no. That's not how the kingdom works. Let me tell you how the kingdom works. You start doing the job now. Amen. You start being faithful now. And people eventually, it takes a little while for a crown to be put on your head. But if you're doing that job, if you're just finding a place to serve, eventually somebody's going to say, it's time for you to come up a little bit higher. So David was anointed by God, by Samuel, and by the people. Now I want to close with Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then the psalmist gives us a beautiful word picture. Here's what it's like. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it feels like. He said, it's, it's like the precious oil. On the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down to the edge of his garments. Why? Why does the Holy Ghost choose such a word picture to describe unity? Because I'm going to tell you, there's no unity without authority. And there's no unity without coming under authority. Listen, if you think that I'm preaching to line his pockets, then you don't get it. You've got a Judas spirit. Judas never got Jesus. Never got him. Didn't. Judas is about power and money. and The Bible says he was a thief and full of the devil. But unity is achieved when there's spiritual authority in place. And when it starts flowing down the head of Aaron and into his beard and into the skirts of his garments, anointing flows down. And if you don't come under an anointing, you will never have an anointing because nobody gets anointing all by themselves. If you have an anointing in your life today, it's because you came under somebody somewhere. And caught, perhaps, a few drops 
of their spirit. Anointing flows down. You have to come under it. You have to get under it. Something's going to happen this weekend. And Refuge Church is going to go to a whole new level. It's already at an awesome level. It's amazing. You saw the celebrate. That's the best historic wrap-up video I've ever seen in any anniversary. 77 filled with the Holy Ghost. 125 baptized. Miracles. He's, he's, he's buried five people. And he's performed nine weddings. And, and has dedicated 28 children. What's happening? We're building relationships. We're building a family. We're building, we're building stories. We're telling the stories. We're celebrating the stories. I'm prophesying to refuge that if you will believe in this man, if you will untie his hands, don't fight him. Don't resist him. Don't hinder him. I'm going to tell you why you can believe in him. Because he's hurt too much. He's hurt too much to not be a man of God. Some people, well, I don't know. I I don't want him to get the big head. I don't want him to get a big head. I'll never forget my first church, Brother Tamil. I had Cleveland Becton come and preach. You know, Jeff Jeff Arnold called him Mr. Cleve. You You couldn't put a mark on Cleveland Becton, my wife's uncle, Uncle Cleveland. In fact, when... When he heard that we were engaged, he said, after you become my nephew, marrying my niece, Marlene, you're going to call me Brother Becton or Uncle Cleveland? I said, oh, Brother Becton, you'll always be Uncle Cleveland to me. (laughs) I think that's the day I became a politician. (laughs) So I, I introduced him. We're glad to have the General Secretary of United Pentecostal Church, Cleveland Becton. Let's give him a warm welcome. About half the congregation. Buddy, I was tipped in Jesus' name. I went to one of them sour pusses after church. I said, I noticed that you didn't give honor to the godliest man. United Pentecostal Church. I said, what is wrong with you? He said, well, I didn't want him to get the big head. I didn't want him to have an inflated ego. I said, that is your problem. You see, the Bible says give honor. And I said, by the way, that's a financial word. Give honor to whom honor is due. It's not your job. To decide what he's going to do with that honor. Your job is to give him honor. Especially because I asked you to do it. And who could not honor a man of God? And I said, furthermore, that man has hurt too much to ever be seduced by your lousy applause. When a man has character and he goes through pain and he suffers at the hands of stupid, mean people, 
and sickness and disease and kids backsliding. Don't tell me your lousy applause is going to seduce him. When you've got a man of God who's got character, who's been through the fire, you couldn't thank God enough. You couldn't praise God enough. You couldn't give enough to thank God for a man of God like that. And you've got a man. So many preachers here tonight. Why? Because they respect. Missouri respects and honors this couple. Missouri loves them. And just get ready because he's going to be serving somewhere in the United Pentecostal Church. Probably for the rest of his life. Why? Because he's a leader. He's got a good spirit. People can trust him. And I'm going to tell you something else. Get ready when other people want him to come and preach other places. Are you willing to share a man of God like this with the body of Christ around the world? Oh, that went over like a flock of dogs. Say, well, we want our pastor here. Yeah, well, a lot of other people want him too. I wouldn't want a pastor that nobody else wants him to come and preach for. If you do good luck with that, don't get me started. What's anointing like? It's like the oil that runs down. And then the next verse says, verse 3, It is like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. For there... The Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. God commands the blessing when we understand how anointing works, when we come under spiritual authority. Would you stand with me? My subject tonight is the church that anointed their pastor. The church that anointed their pastor. I want the Dornbach family to come and stand behind this pulpit. Brother Sister Dornbach and Kiara and Jude and Titus. Won't you come up here? Just come up here by me, would you? Just stand behind me. I'm going to get out of the way here in a minute. Just, okay. Now I want the ministry directors and ministry leaders to come and stand on this platform from Refuge Church. Come right now. All the ministry directors, department heads and ministry directors, department heads and ministry directors, come and stand behind them and beside them. Thank you so much. Praise God. Praise God. This is a great team. Now I would like for the congregation that's here to come and stand and fill in this front area. The local congregation, Refuge Church. Would you please come, Refuge? Say, so what are we doing? We want to give our pastor the third anointing. You say, well, we've already done that. Well, let's do it again. We're going to give them the third anointing. What a great representation here tonight. 
This is solid. Come in as close to the middle as you can. I want to say, I'm so proud. I'm suitably proud of everything that's happening here at the Life Church. Refuge Church is rising. You're rising. Great miracles are ahead for you. Great provisions. You're not always going to be worshiping in this building. You are going somewhere together. It's going to happen. I know you got baptized here. I know you got married here. I know your babies got dedicated here. But when you vote to relocate, it better be 100%. It better be 100%. And if I hear it was 99%, I'm going to be ticked in Jesus' name. Praise God. Brother, Sister Tamil, would you, would you join us up here? These are great leaders. These are great people. We're just, I want you to just maybe lift one hand to God and one hand toward your pastor and his family. We're just going to anoint him. Just, just whatever you got, give it to him. If you need a miracle, chances are it's going to flow through him. If you need a financial blessing, chances are it's going to flow down from him. Come on. Come on, give him your anointing. Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. You're going to need this man of God to raise your kids. Don't you ever speak negatively about the man of God in your life. That's it right there. You got it. Send it up here. Anoint him. That's it. Anoint him. Anoint him. God's anointed him. The elders have anointed him. Now let the church. 
Anoint him. Come out. Pour it out. That's it. Just pour it out. Pour it out. Anoint it with your prayers. Anoint it with your intercession. Defend them. Protect them. Believe in them. Refuse to be a Nazareth. Something's happening right now. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. An anointing's going to come on you. Something's going to flow down to you. Anointing is flowing down to you. When you come under it. (laughs) Oh, yes. Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let's pray for revival. Let's pray for miracles. Let's pray for provisions. Let's pray that God will order our future. In the name of Jesus, Lord, order our steps. Lord, order our steps. You might not be a part. If you're not a part of this church, I know you can still feel that. There's a strong presence and power of God right now that I just, I just want to allow the Lord to speak right now. 
I think if we could, let's just respond to him. Let's, let's just make this an altar call here for a moment here, all right? I think that God wants to do some things. He's spoken. Even if you're a part of a different church, maybe I want you to feel the liberty to come and pray for these people. You've come to celebrate with us, but please, please feel free to, to come and pray with these people. I believe that God's doing something in Refuge Church right now. We just want to respond to Him right now. Don't feel like you're an outsider looking in. Hey, you might have a word for somebody in this church here tonight. Feel your liberty.
Helping 